Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff Podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker. Hi, filmmakers. Jason Brubaker talking to you from sunny Southern California. Today, we're meeting with Dean Ronalds. He's an award-winning director and filmmaker. He grew up in Denver. He's always had a knack for acting and filmmaking in the arts. He's also an editor. Um, but what makes it interesting is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that talk about doing things. Dean's actually done it. Uh, one of the highlights of his career was working with Tyler Perry, among other things. And he's uh, produced, I think it was like, what, what is it, Dean? You produced like eight or nine features? Something like that. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you on the show, man. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. So, um, you know, one of the things that I find so interesting about your story is like just sort of how you built, built up your filmmaking career, just pretty much by your own terms. Yeah. So a little bit about myself. I started out as an actor as a kid. And when I went to college, it turned into filmmaking um, out of the thought that I would just put myself in my own films and sort of write everything. And uh, my brother was also an actor. And when I went to film school, I thought that I could bring my brother in sort of you know, show him the basics of producing. And um, he was also a phenomenal salesman. And with that thought, I was also like, maybe he could raise money for us. Um, so I basically taught him the fundamentals of producing from what I had just learned in film school. And we started making shorts together. I bought a Mac. This was probably 20 years ago, you know, started, look, I learned how to edit digitally. Digital editing just started. And so I started you know, writing shorts with my brother and we were producing um, short films and he was acting in them and I was directing them. And that's sort of how we got started. Uh, and at that time we were in Arizona. Is that when you got into features? Uh, so one of the shorts we made was called the Nether Beast of Berm Tech Industries, Inc. It was a five minute short that we made for like a hundred bucks in one day. And then I edited it. It, it got into like 50 film festivals, nothing, wow. nothing really like, you know, some good ones, you know, but not, not like Sundance or anything, but like some solid film festivals. And it went around the world doing this thing. So um, we had already uh, at that time, I wasn't confident as a writer, not like I am now. And so I, I, we had been working with a writer who had written that short film. And um, so during that time, he had actually written another feature. It was a drama comedy, more in line with the uh, Magnolia, sort of multiple characters, multiple storylines coming together with one main theme. Um, but once we saw the success of the short, we like we like put that one on hold and went and said, hey, why don't you make a feature of the Nether Beast of Berm Tech Industries, Inc.? And he did. And that was our first feature and it was made in Arizona, yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good win, dude. You got, you got in 50 film festivals with a short film that you made in one day and then you figured out how to make that into feature. So did you guys raise a bunch of money for that or how'd that work? Yeah, we, uh, at the time, we had a very solid investor, Angel, still an angel to this day. Um, he was our, one of our main investors. We found two other investors. We put together $750,000 to make that film and we made it. It had... Uh, Judd Nelson was in it, Robert Wagner was in it, Jason Mewes, Dave Foley, Steve Burns, um, who was the original Blues Clues host, uh, was the main character, Amy um, uh, from Eight Simple Rules with the uh, television show. And um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun, interesting movie, fun cast. Um, after that, you know, looking at your resume here, it looks like you went on to make a few more features. 
Yeah. After that, we, um, as I was looking for my next project to direct, um, my brother and I had, had our hooks into the filmmaking community in Arizona. So we, we, um, we knew a couple of others that were working on getting features made that we believed in. And so we brought some of our um, investors funds over to sort of match funds on those projects. And, and we, we made a, a horror film called the graves for, it was a Brian Polito film. He, he's the creator of a comic called lady death, um, which has had like 30 years of success for him. And uh, Brian Skiba, um, we did a movie called dirty little trick, which had Michael Madsen and Dean Kane in it. And Christy Burston was the lead. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we got, we, you know, we sort of teamed up with some other filmmakers and, and worked together to get their first films produced first features. So what happened after all of that? So at that time, um, funny story, our investor was like, okay, guys, I think I'm coming to an end of this. And I was still in Arizona and I'm like, I made a bold choice. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be stuck in Arizona. I got to make a move to LA. I got to, I got to, I got to be in it. And so I moved, I moved there. I moved from Arizona to LA and we kept our investors, kept, kept them going, you know, little by little, a little less, but he was, he was still with us for a couple of years after that. So, um, and my brother soon moved to LA after that as well. And then what happened once you got to LA? Uh, you know, we started to, you know, at that, when we moved to LA, we had already had an office there for two years that we were commuting back and forth monthly to like a couple, a couple weeks here, a couple weeks in Arizona. Um, so we had had our hooks into a good community of, you know, we had done some good networking in, um, in LA. And so when we got there, you know, we had, we knew a bunch of people and we just kept doing the same thing. Um, my brother was also very good at publicity. So he started a small publicist firm and that we were, we just started going to events and sort of marketing everything we were doing and, and trying to network, you know, do the Hollywood yeah. thing and, work and find other money, find, you know, trying to pair up to other people. And actually that's when we, when we met Tom Malloy. Yeah. Um, our, our mutual friend, Tom Malloy. <laughs> yes. And then, and then everything changes. No, I'm just kidding. But um, well, I got to tell you, you know, th there's a truth to that because um, we were very similar, like-minded um, with Tom and we wanted to work on something together. And uh, when a smaller project he was doing got funded, he, he asked me to direct and, um, and I accepted. And it was a, it was a, it was a film called uh, Ashley. And it was a very low budget, but it, that was my first film that I did in LA. And it was produced by Tom and my brother and I directed it. And um, it was written by a former student of Tom Malay. Wow. How about that? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we could unpack, but uh, you know, our time's limited. But one of the cool things about that is just how one person leads to the next leads to the next. And then next thing you found yourself, you know, directing a film um, with some people you hadn't previously worked with. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was a great experience. Uh, it was a di difficult time in my life. So it was sort of a, uh, I was going through a divorce. And so, which was, you know, fairly amicable, um, yeah. but it's still never easy when you have, when you have children. So um, that sort of helped me, you know, it helped keep my spirits up to be creatively working. Was that hard? You have some kids and, and you're trying to make this work. I know a lot of our listeners are in that situation all across the world, actually. Yeah, it's never easy, you know. Um my ex-wife, you know, she 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 did 
you know, she, she kept the kids. She kept, she raised, she raised the kids and she'd bring them to the set. Even after, even during this time while we were split up, you know, we definitely knew we had to be amicable for the children and, and we still are. We're actually better friends now that, that we're not married, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you throw any component additionally outside of your career into it, it's, it just means you have to work that much harder. You have to commit that much more time to everything. Well, speaking of hard work at that point, did you feel like you had a lot of momentum leading towards the next projects? You know, I never really thought about that. Um, it was tricky working with, um, you know, I felt like my brother was producing, but I felt like he wanted to direct too. And I felt like that w we had some friction there um, because yeah. it was our, our company was called Ronald's Brothers, um, but I was directing and he was producing. And from every now and again, I was producing as well. Um, actually, usually I was producing as well during any film we were making. Um, so, you know, I felt like, my moment i didn't think about momentum because it was a tricky situation because when you think of the director's momentum you think of that person as an individual moving forward on his own yeah um, i felt like that option didn't exist for me because i had my my partner with me who also wanted to be involved with directing but um i didn't feel like we were on the same page as, uh, as that goes and again love my brother uh we just had different thoughts at that time of of, of what we wanted well you, you look you know, again, you look all over the world, you know, anytime people create a family business, there's, there's going to be some conflicts because there's just so many dynamics built into that. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. So what happened after all that? So now, now you and brother, you and your brother are having some friction. Were you guys able to patch things up or what happened next? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we always worked through it and, uh, you know, I think at that time we, we had become acquainted acquainted with Robert Wagner's manager, Chuck, um, I forget Chuck's last name, but anyway, uh, he knew we were writers too. And he pitched us to one of Tyler Perry's producers uh, came to him and said, Hey, we need a couple of writers in, in, in the, in the writer's room. Who do you know? So he put us up for the job and we sent some samples in and then we did a test sample. And, you know, a couple months later we were in Atlanta working uh, on Meet the Browns with Tyler Perry in the writer's room with, you know, 12 other writers. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good win. So what was that like? Uh, I mean, it was cool, man. You know, that was like dream come true. Um, but, you know, the, the idea was that they kept us there for like two or three weeks. Um, but when we, when we got sent back, so we all broke season two, which means when you break a season, it means sort of you outline and write an entire season and you work through the episodes and you sort of all the writers work with the, the head writer. And at that time, Tyler Perry too would, would, would come and chime in, um, and, you know, give his thoughts and ups and, you know, thumbs ups or thumbs down for, sto for storylines and stuff. And so, but after that was up, they sent us home and they only hired two full-time staff writers to join the team. So we got to write and get credited for one episode, um, but that was short-lived there. And that's sort of where that ended. Yeah. So, so you got a taste of the win and then you got a taste of not, not so fun. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I, yeah, I no, it was a, it was a win lose, you know, um, best experience ever, but it, it stopped there. And this was a tricky thing too, because it also tied me in again, even closer now as a partner with my brother, because now we were riding together Yeah, on a professional level. Um, so fa fast forward a little bit. So you guys come back from, from the Tyler Perry experience. Do you go back out and start raising money again or what do you do then? 
No, you know, again, I have to hand it to my brother. He was always great with networking. I think during that time, I, you know, my networking skills were, weren't the best probably. And I was probably more introverted than I should have been. Um, but he was always out there talking and shaking and moving. And, um, I was very, always very critical of my work. So, um, to, to, to speak of it, I, I always felt the bit of the, the pool, like, uh, how do I promote myself if it's not necessarily, you know, the finished product isn't necessarily what I anticipated or what I had hoped for. So, but he was always great. Always the consummate, uh, positive, you know, and, yeah. and out there and out there reaching out. So he reached out, you know, uh, he was always talking to other filmmakers. We met through festival circuits and all that whole thing. And one of these filmmakers had reached out to us or him and said, Hey, look, I have written a script with this gentleman from Tanzania, Africa. Yeah. And, and uh, he has money to the, the film's financed for like 200 grand, but he does, he's never done this before. And we need producers who've done this before you guys interested. So we said, yes, or he said, yes, or we, you know, he, he brought it to me and we said, yeah, we'll produce it for you. But, you know, we don't want to go to Africa. Uh, you know, let's just keep it here. And long story short, the director went to Africa and they needed a producer on the ground out there. So I was the one who was sent to Africa to produce a movie. So that was next. That was what we did next. And I got there and stuff went wacky, haywire, long story short. My two weeks turned to seven weeks and I, instead of just producing, ended up directing the film in Tanzania. Here you are in Tanzania, a place you hadn't even thought about and you're directing. What a, yeah. Yeah. What a and crazy actually, story. It got, it got even crazier. The real movie is I, I met my future wife there. Oh. She was uh, cast. She was, she was living in New York. She flew to LA for the audition. Um, she was born and raised in Italy. We cast her. She went back to New York and we met in, we both, when we both flew to Africa and it just sort of, um, we fell in love and that was that. That's awesome, man. Well, you know, I know just based on what I know about you, but there, you know, down the road here, uh, you and your brother part ways. Yeah. I mean, I think we both felt it coming. Um, I definitely think that, it was more of a, of, of a, of a thought from my end and less from his end. I think he wanted to keep going at it and, you know, in the future, in the future, we might work together and make another movie again. But at that point, you know, I had always been sort of tethered to somebody and this is going from childhood, you know, I'm the youngest of, of three boys and I was always sort of like looked at as the brother of Brian and Adam, you know, I would never had my own identity. So I think it, it had a lot to do with that too. I wanted to, have my own identity. And once again, I, I was, I was stacked on top of a, a sibling and, and it was super important that I was able to freely sort of, you know, do my own thing. Uh, but yeah, I, at the time I, he, I feel like he wanted to keep going or keep trying to push it. And I just felt like it was important for me to sort of establish myself on my own. You know, I started over, I, I, I broke with my partner, my brother. Um, I was going through a divorce. I was, you know, uh, uh, investors were drying up and it, it, I didn't know what to do. And that's when I, I went to New York and, and started trying to put this bigger film together, which seemed, it seemed at the time was coming together. Uh, so at that time, I've still had, a, you know, a little bit of savings that I was living off of that was keeping us going. Um, and uh, it was difficult because uh, overhead in New York was a lot more, but I think the struggle that I, I didn't initially have to really experience when I started out as a, as an early filmmaker with like 10 years prior when I was making 
um, features with my brother because I was, I was working and then we were lucky enough to find investors. And then it just sort of took on this path. And I never really was like, you know, bottoming out was struggling with no money. And like, so this was sort of that period, which was a difficult sort of time timing age wise, when I had to go back to bartending and waiting tables, which is just, you know, uh, a lot of people won't do it because of ego, or they just feel like they are better. I, I was taught that no matter what, you always have to provide. And at that point I had two children that I needed and an ex-wife that I needed to keep making money. However, I was making money and just one way or another needed to do it. And whatever tiny residuals were coming in from whatever I had made previously weren't cutting it. The savings was drying up. And so, you know, nose to the grindstone and started bartending and waiting tables again in New York city. Um, so, but you know, there was something that came out of that. You started working, was it for an advertising agency? Yes. Yeah, so during that time, you know, I, I, I had met a bunch of filmmakers throughout the 15 year, 10, 15, however many year course it was at that time. And one of them was a gentleman uh, who had made a short, but he was in the advertising world and he'd always come to LA. When he came to LA, I would, all, we would always hang out and I'd be like, you need to hire me to direct commercial. And he's like, doesn't work that way. Ha ha. And I'm like, ha ha. And so when I got to New York, I'm like, dude, you need to hire me. To <laughs> and he's like, dude, doesn't work that way. He's like, but, I get you're in a pinch and, and you'd work. So I know you've been editing for 15 years, essentially. Uh, can you come in and edit? I said, yeah, how much does it pay? And he told me how much it paid. I'm like, wait, how, how long, what, when do you need me? You know, cause, pay it, cause, <laughs> yeah, it's a, right. cause the day rate on editors is just like, was it's ridiculous. So he brought me in and that, that sort of kicked off being able to get back into entertainment one way advertising. Yeah. And um, from that, I was able to edit a bunch of very awesome pieces that landed me. Another friend had introduced me to a advertising manager who does post-production work, uh, who represents post-production and creative directors for advertising. And the work I had done for him was enough for her to start sending me out on other jobs. And all, again, all that sort of accumulated to building to my editor portfolio. Um, and so I was, I was done with, you know, I was back in it creatively um on one side of it and uh and my goal was to edit with the hopes to direct commercials and then with the hope to direct enough commercials that maybe i could come back around to enter hollywood on that end because historically many filmmakers have started as commercial um creative directors or directors in commercials and have used that work to laterally get the attention of her manager or an agent who was who was willing to send scripts or projects their way and get the meetings. And so that was the idea is to get back to edit as much as I can work into possibly directing, meet a bunch of producers in the commercial world. And, and even during this growth time of, I guess this has been the last five years of this, I directed a couple of specs of my own to put on a portfolio, which um, again, from the tutelage or from the, uh, uh, you know, um, help of, of some of these producers and suggestions, um, you know, mentoring, like what, what is the path to, to do what I want to do? I made some specs and that all sort of grew into now I have this manager who sends me out. Um, and then just last year, right before COVID hit, um, I was hired to produce a, a, a campaign, two campaigns for a small law firm. Um, that was a sort of a narrative 
funny bunch of different um, ideas. And, and I was given the opportunity to direct four of the commercials, which are all significantly different. So between my specs and some directing work, I've been able to start putting together a uh, commercial um, director's portfolio, which hopefully will lead, you know, keep me going in the direction I want to go. If people wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about you, right? Um, uh, where, where would they go? How, how do people get in touch with you? They could go to my website, fallingupfilms.com. That's my current production company. Um, falling up, meaning, you know, kind of everything we just said, you know, you feel like you're falling and then all this experience ends up bringing you up. You know, I see a lot of filmmakers make projects and and never complete them because they don't like how it's how it's turned out. And it's like, finish your shit, okay? You had a lot of people help you put it together. And even if it turns out like crap, finish it because it'll definitely take you to the next step. You know, and it'll build the perseverance and you'll understand what you need to do next time to do it better. Done is better than none. That's right. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast with Jason Brubaker. If you like our show and want to get more filmmaking info, make sure you check out filmmakingstuff.com and join us every week for new filmmaking tactics. Until next time, take action and make your movie now.